Good morning. Today we have several passages, and you can follow along on the screen above me. The first is from Matthew 4. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simeon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. In Matthew 9, it reads, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. In John 8, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. In uh, 2010, I was in Cape Town, South Africa for a conference. And I hired a guide to take me up Table Mountain, a famous mountain overlooking the city of Cape Town, South Africa. Now, a friend of mine was also attending that conference, and I invited him to climb Table Mountain with me. Now, he had already climbed uh, the popular Platyclip uh, Gorge route up Table Mountain, so he suggested we try the India Venster route. After my friend asked the guide if she could take us up the India Venster route, she kind of just looked us over and said, sure. I think you can do it. <laughs> uh, what the guide didn't tell us is that the India Venster route includes climbing a sheer cliff with no safety equipment. There are narrow paths with massive drop-offs into oblivion just a foot away. It's not the typical way up Table Mountain. People fall to their death on that route every year. It's scary. In fact, after we made the climb, I asked several South Africans if they had ever taken that route up Table, table Mountain, and no one ever had. Has anybody here ever taken that route, the India Venster route up Table Mountain? Okay, I want to talk to you if you have. <laughs> I would never do that route without a guide. But with a guide who knew the route, we safely climbed the India Venster. Our guide said, follow me, and we followed. We put our feet where she put her feet. We grabbed the rock handholds that she grabbed. The route was not clearly marked. We didn't know the way, but our guide did, so we followed her. 
There was a time we were climbing up this sheer cliff when she said, look around, it's a great view. <laughs> I didn't want to look down. I, I don't like heights. It was terrifying to me. I actually asked her, what happens if we fall? And she said, you land on the rocks. <laughs> that was not encouraging. <laughs> Understanding my fear, she simply encouraged me when I started freaking out to keep climbing and follow her, follow her lead. You know, right now, I feel like I'm metaphorically climbing the India Venster route all over again in our lives right now. God is my guide is something I'm trying to believe more and more. In scripture, Jesus gives three great invitations. His first words to us are, come to me, come to me. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. His next invitation to all of us is repent and believe. Jesus began his earthly ministry with those words, repent and believe. We begin a new relationship with Jesus when we respond to that invitation and repent and believe. And then Jesus' third invitation is, follow me. This was his invitation to Peter and Andrew while they were fishing, and to James and John when they were repairing their nets. Follow me, he called to them. It was his invitation to Matthew, and it's Jesus' invitation to you and me and every person on earth. In John 8, we read, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Christians are described as Christ followers, but what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? What's it mean to actually follow Jesus? And how does this relate to that great chapter of faith in Hebrews 11 that we studied earlier this year and other recent passages like Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith? Well, here's a couple thoughts. Following Jesus implies that he's ahead and we're behind. He's leading and we are not. That's what Abraham experienced as he followed God from Ur to Haran. What Moses experienced as he followed God out of Egypt. What Joshua experienced as he followed God into Canaan. And what the Apostle Paul experienced as he followed God out of Turkey and into what's modern day Europe. God's ahead and we're behind. He's leading and we are not. Like men and women of faith before us, we let God lead us into unknown and perhaps unexpected territory, and we follow him. Second, in following Jesus implies that he knows the way, and we may not. In Matthew 16, we read this. 
After Jesus told Peter that he would be killed, but on the third day he'd be raised from the dead, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Giving up our own way is really hard to do. I'm very glad to have Jesus along as my companion or as my bodyguard or as my porter carrying my burdens. It's a lot harder to relinquish control of where I'm going and how I'll get there and actually trust him as my guide. You know, when I start a journey or a hike, I get in my mind the direction I think we should go. I see a path that looks well-traveled and apparently headed in the right direction, and I think, let's start walking that way. Trusting Jesus as my guide means that I don't waste, I don't waste energy trying to convince him where we should go and how we should get there. Instead, I trust him to set the direction and begin the journey at peace with his expertise. He won't take me on a path I can't handle. And filled with curiosity over what we'll discover along the path. Following Jesus is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, walking by faith and not by sight. Now, Job, in the Old Testament, learned that God's path for his life was different than the way he imagined. All you got to do is read the first couple chapters of Job and find that was not what he was thinking his life was going to look like. But that unimagined path resulted in growth he could not have anticipated. Job writes this in 23, Job 23. But he, God, knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's paths. I followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. Years ago, I was on a, a outward bound type of wilderness trip. It was actually something through Wheaton College. Uh, this is a long time ago, actually, uh, called High Roads. It was an 18-day hiking trip through the Porcupine Mountains in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It was early May. It snowed. It rained. It was an intense experience designed to take you to the edge of your limits. One day, our leader gave our group a contour map and a compass and told us to meet him at a certain location 10 miles away in the Porcupine Mountains. We hiked, our little group hiked all day, bushwhacking through the forest in intermittent rain. At dusk, we knew we were getting close to where we were supposed to rendezvous with our leader. 
And he had emphatically told us that morning, early that morning, do not stop hiking until you find me tonight. That's what he'd said. Well, as the light was fading, we uh, came across, whoops, we came across a trail. It was overgrown. In fact, the entrance to that actually pretty broad trail was blocked by fallen branches and debris. With our flashlights now on, we tried to read our maps. And I remember some people thought we should follow this small trail that led off to the right. Others thought uh, this overgrown but broad trail right in front of us is the path our leader wanted us to take. After bushwhacking all day, wouldn't it make sense that we should take this broad trail right to our leader? Well, we struggled to climb over the debris and finally started hiking down this broad, overgrown trail. Wet branches slapped our face. In the dark, we gave up looking at the map, convinced that, of course, this is the trail our leader wants us to take. It wasn't. <laughs> An hour or more passed. It was raining, icy cold, and pitch black. We were exhausted, lost. We finally stopped. And I can remember just standing there, too numb to do anything. On, on a, this outward bound, this high roads experience, they don't give you tents, they just give you little plastic tarps. And uh, despite our leader's warning, we decided to pitch camp right in the middle of this overgrown trail. We strung a, a line and put our tarp uh, in the middle of this trail and uh, to try to keep from getting hypothermia as it rained down on us. We slept two people to a sleeping bag. Water ran through the bag I shared with another guy. It was honestly the closest thing I've ever come to dying of hypothermia. Mercifully, the morning broke clear. We took a good look at our maps again, got our bearings with the train now that we could see what was around us, and realized we were not where we were supposed to be. We shouldn't have taken this overgrown trail. So we backtracked an hour to the trailhead, climbing back over the debris that had blocked our access to the trail, and saw again this smaller trail leading off to the right. In fact, we notice now that branches actually seem to be laid on the ground pointing towards this smaller trail. <clears throat> we followed that trail 10 minutes into a small glen and found our leader, who was really irritated, <laughs> really mad at us. Uh, he had been waiting all night. He had, he had put the branches across the trail as a barrier to keep us hiking down this broad path because he knew it was a dead end. But because we assumed that was the trail we should take, we had struggled across his barrier to, to take the trail we thought was right. In Jeremiah, we read this. This is Jeremiah 7. My people would not listen to me they kept doing whatever they wanted, following the, the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backwards instead of forward. From the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants, the prophets, day in and day out, 
but my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They have been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. That was us that night. Insisting that we know how our lives should unfold instead of trusting in the Lord is not what God wants. In the Psalms, we read this, Psalm 81. My people wouldn't listen. Israel did not want me around. So I let them follow their own stubborn desires, living according to their own ideas. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that Israel would follow me walking in my paths. How quickly I would then subdue their enemies. How soon my hands would be upon their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him. They'd be doomed forever. But I would feed you with the finest wheat. I would satisfy you with wild honey from the rock. Now, I've been using the metaphor of God as our guide. God is also like a great mystery writer. A great mystery is interesting to read because we don't know what's going to happen. The author knows we don't. The great mystery writer introduces and weaves insignificant, seemingly insignificant details together in ways that we don't anticipate. We're left in suspense until the final chapter, what's going to happen. It's thrilling to read a great mystery novel. It keeps us, at least it keeps me, up at night when that great mystery is my real life. And we're experiencing chapter after chapter feeling clueless how it's going to weave together. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Well, faith believes that God is the great mystery writer and he knows where the story is headed. He doesn't abandon his characters. He's not writing this fragmented mess. He invites us to trust his ability to weave all the elements of the story together in an interesting way that ultimately makes sense. Uh, over the past six years, uh, Becky and I have felt like we're in the middle of a mystery novel. Each chapter of our story has unfolded in ways we didn't expect. We followed God down a storyline or a path, whatever metaphor you want to use, that we never imagined. We live in a different city than we expected. We didn't think we'd find ourselves here in Orlando. We live in a different house and living situation than we planned. Our jobs have changed in ways we didn't anticipate. Our son's lives have taken turns we didn't foresee. When I was young, I uh, thought life followed a general, general upward trajectory and that life in your late 50s, where we find ourselves now, was uh, stable. I don't know where I got that narrative, but I could not have been more wrong. So if you're in your 20s and that's what you think life is like, forget it. It ain't like that. Our life has been anything but predictable. I literally have no idea what my life will look like this fall. And we've all experienced so many unexpected twists and turns in life over the last few years. Uh, it feels unsettling. Uh, uncertainty takes a toll 
The psalmist wrote, show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. You know, when we don't know what's ahead or if we're on the right path, it requires a conscious effort, an intentional effort to say, all day long I put my hope in you. God, I trust you with all my heart. Sometimes the path of our life, the path of our life, the path forward, seems impossibly complex. The invitation of Christ is to follow him rather than to try to find our own way through the wilderness of our life. Jesus is an experienced guide. He knows the best route forward. We can enjoy the journey curious and excited to watch Jesus, the master guide, forge a path through complex terrain and lead us to a solution we hadn't previously conceived. We can pray with confidence, your will be done, because we truly believe that his solution is exactly what we need. You know, God's invitation is for us to follow him from a posture of profound trust. A posture of profound trust. Profound trust believes these promises in Scripture. Psalm 37, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Psalm 37, 5, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him, and he will help you. Profound trust believes Psalm 23, which we know so well, is actually true. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. So it turns out that the Lord is our guide and is also our companion and our bodyguard, and he leads us to peaceful streams and along the right paths. Follow me is Christ's invitation to truly follow him, to follow him along the path that he knows to the destination that he's determined. At times, this journey feels as scary as the India Venster route. We don't want to look down. We definitely don't know the way forward. We need a guide. During those times of fear, Scripture reminds us to put your hope in the Lord, travel steadily along his path. Follow Jesus. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We imitate their faith by doing what they did. 
follow Jesus with profound trust. May God turn your anxiety to curiosity, your fear to peace, as you and I follow Jesus in the months ahead. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, easy to say, hard to do. Help us to follow you with a posture, in a posture of profound trust. You do know the way. You're Almighty God. We ask you to forgive us for thinking we know better than you, for not trusting you. Help us, Lord, to trust you. We really do want to follow you, we want to see where you will lead. And so we ask you to help us to do that this week and in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.